and welcome to another episode of Deprogramming, the adult child of the narcissist. My name is Gloria Rogers and I am your host. This podcast is an anecdotal audio journal as I walk towards healing childhood trauma and emotional abuse. As a disclaimer, I am not a therapist, nor am I a psychologist with any specific or specialized training. As such, this podcast is mostly experiential based. To make one more disclaimer, I will add that I am indeed specifying the person who is a narcissist in my life, but please note that I am not diagnosing them with narcissistic personality disorder, as that is only something a trained professional may do. Yet, that doesn't change the fact that I strongly believe that this person is in fact a narcissist. Once more, my emphasis is that this is based on study and experience. Alright, this is episode number three. I've titled this Unpacking and Exploring Trauma. When you go through long-term emotional abuse and trauma, most things and thoughts in our lives become normal. That crippling anxiety, those spontaneous panic attacks, that debilitating depression that keeps you from getting anything done sometimes myriad of symptoms that are overlooked as normal things in life. The thoughts, I'm fine, everything is alright. Until that moment when it's not alright and somehow the whole world collapses in on itself. When that happens, I know for myself I will either cry in private or unload everything onto the nearest person available, which is usually my husband. In this episode, I'm going to break down what some of the long-term effects the children of narcissists will deal with. These effects and symptoms won't be entirely unique to narcissistic abuse survivors either. At least, that's what I believe from study. Today I'm going to go over the symptoms of emotional abuse, including complex PTSD. Why do the victims of narcissistic abuse struggle with it? In this episode, I'm going to once again pull some information from different websites. The links to those I will add in the description of this episode so that you can go and check them out yourself as well. The following list that I'm going to cover here are symptoms that can indicate if you are a narcissistic abuse victim, according to a Charlie Health website. And again, I will link my sources in the episode's description. You may feel lonely and isolated from family and friends. You may have a sense of mistrust for everyone. You have trouble making decisions at home, at work, and for the family. You may be unable or have great difficulty in confronting the narcissist. And in many cases, especially if the narcissist is your partner, unable to leave them. You always feel like you have done something wrong. You lose your self-identity or sense of self and identity. You have symptoms of anxiety or depression or unexplained physical symptoms. Some physical symptoms can look like fatigue, trouble sleeping, appetite changes, and stomach problems, to name just a few. The victim will often feel confused and or guilty, even if they don't fully understand what's happening. This next list is from the same site as I mentioned before, and this one is simply some signs of narcissistic abuse. controlling behavior from the narcissist. This is something that escalates with time, if yours especially is a romantic relationship. As a child of a narcissist, I think that control looks a bit different 
than that of a partner. At any rate, it all comes down to power. Uh, social isolation. Narcissistic abusers isolate their partners and their kids to some degree, removing person's support system, making it easier to perpetuate the abuse, to continue that abuse. This one I quoted straight from my sources. It is so well put. This will generate mistrust as well of other people as well as force the victim to look to the narcissist alone for support and affection. Although these things are very rarely given by the narcissist to the victim. That love and affection and support. Uh, verbal abuse. Insults, put downs, literally anything that will demean the victim, make them feel worthless. That's typical of the narcissist. A complete disregard of boundaries. A victim won't be allowed to make their own decisions, and being physically separated is usually a big no-no. Uh, this one is called censorship. There is a constant feeling of walking on eggshells, hypervigilance, and racing thoughts. Victims will constantly be looking out for the abuser's mood and try to predict how they will act next. I can testify this is true. Quite often, when my dad would walk in the door, you'd do your best to figure out what his mood was going to look like because it would affect the rest of your day. Often the victim will make excuses for bad behavior. The victim may come up with some excuses for their abuser's actions and genuinely believe them. Honestly, I think this one is more true for a partner than a child. And often it is a self-preservation tactic. As a child, I could care less about the reasons why my dad behaved the way that he did. All that matters was that it wasn't right and I couldn't bear it. Narcissistic abuse affects more than just the mind. It affects the body as well. I'm gonna do another list. This one are five more ways that this kind of abuse affects both your mind and your body. Chronic fatigue is the first one on this list. Narcissists take a lot of energy out of us, and this can include trouble sleeping, as mentioned earlier, as well as a lack of motivation and energy. Chronic stress is another. The sheer amount of pressure of the abuser drastically increases stress levels. There are several physical problems related to such large amounts of stress. This includes high blood pressure, again fatigue, digestive problems, and headaches. On this one especially, I will talk more on because of my mother. Before she died, she developed irritable bowel syndrome, and I have learned since that long-term stress of narcissistic abuse is a major cause of this disease. She also had suffered from blood, high blood pressure and I think digestive problems to some degree. The next symptom on this list is loss of self-worth. As I talked about in the first episode, narcissistic abuse is a form of brainwashing. Especially if you are the partner of the narcissist, you may feel like you no longer recognize who you were before getting into that relationship. As a child of the narcissist, that brainwashing starts young, and the child may not have had the chance to find out who they were on their own. This can foster self-doubt, generate trust issues, and brew shame and embarrassment. Another very serious symptom is brain damage. 
and I quote, Repeated emotional trauma can shrink areas of the brain responsible for memory and learning and grow areas responsible for fear, guilt, and shame. These changes can lead to cognitive problems, such as concentrating on tasks and memory loss. It's also common for victims to experience emotional lability or mood swings that are accompanied by irritability, end quote. I'm going to give a quick personal example on this one because I really struggle with some of these things. I cannot tell you how many times I might recall something only to pause and wonder if that it was real or imaginary. Imaginary memories were safer because they can be ignored or dismissed. Sometimes these memories seemed more like a dream rather than not. To the best of my ability, as I share memories and stories, they will be real and not imaginary. This problem alone creates so much self-doubt. As a result of practicing this for so long, my ability to retain information is very limited, and learning takes so much more effort than it could. I believe some struggles I had in school can be linked to this issue here, and not just for me. I believe some of my siblings can relate with these struggles as well. The last symptom on this list is self-destructive behavior. These behaviors are generally used to create short-term escape from the situation. These behaviors may include, but are not restricted to substance use, overeating, overspending, alcohol consumption, etc. Again, in regards to my mother, I will talk about how this could have led to her relatively young death, uh, her own self-destructive behaviors. I know for me, a method of escape was to read novels, which isn't exactly self-destructive. There's probably other self-destructive habits that I practiced, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. These novels always transported me to different worlds, with characters that would overcome their oppressors, defeat the villains, find friends and lovers who would support and work with the main character. Such adventures I deeply desired, but I couldn't. In reality, I was merely a child who was powerless in everything. On a different note, since I was a young girl, I've had an idea for a novel, but I just never wrote it. It still hasn't left me. Uh, it's merely evolved. Perhaps one day I may stop procrastinating and bring it to life. This next article is from news, newportinstitute.com. Again, I will share the link. This one is titled, How Having a Narcissistic Parent Impacts Young Adult Mental Health. I'll start off with a quote from this article. Children of narcissistic parents grow up with parents whose personality traits can leave mental and emotional scars that negatively affect their children well after they've left the nest. End quote. As children of narcissists, these children are seen only as an extension of the narcissist. And should that child become independent, the narcissist will typically feel threatened. Manipulation tactics will then be used to gain the children's focus and attention on themselves. They won't tolerate confrontation. Instead, they will belittle their child with hurtful, condescending words that can easily escalate from mental, emotional, spiritual abuse to even physical abuse. The physical abuse isn't always present. I know for myself that it seemed like I couldn't allow myself to consider my father as abusive because he never physically beat us. 
it. Here I am talking about trauma induced by him anyway. Some of the most common signs of a narcissistic parent are the following. Using fear tactics and manipulation to dominate. Teasing, mocking, bullying, and criticizing to maintain superiority. Engaging in gaslighting, which is something I will talk about in another episode. Exhibiting an intolerance of disobedience. Turning family time into an opportunity to shift attention back to themselves. Blaming family members when things don't go their way. It's always someone else's fault. Only showing love when their children do exactly what they ask. Withdrawing love otherwise. Not showing compassion for their children or other family members. This site goes on to give a couple of specific differences between the narcissistic mother versus the narcissistic father. I'll add them both, although I will struggle relating with the victims of narcissistic mothers, only because it's my father whom I'm struggling healing from. Despite saying that, I can still empathize. Do any one of you, my listeners, struggle from the abuse of a narcissistic mother? I'd be honored to hear what it may have been like for you. What are some things that you are dealing with as a result of that relationship? I'd love to know. Here are some of the common signs of a narcissistic mother. She may compare siblings to one another or to their friends and peers. She'll play favorites. One who can do no wrong and one who is blamed for everything. Uses guilt and shame to gain control. Regularly changing the topic of conversation to herself. Criticizing her children to boost her own ego. Expecting praise and recognition for her mothering. She could very likely compete with her children. She is unaware of how she affects others. Now on to the fathers. These men are focused on their needs for attention to the extent of being unable to offer their children good encouragement or support. The way my father encouraged us more often than not was a discouragement. His way of encouraging involved shaming or belittling our abilities. Anyway, some of the common signs of a narcissistic father are as follows. These dads display charisma and soak in the spotlight. They may not be home a lot due to needing more attention and admiration from people outside his close family circle. They will have a preoccupation with success and or power. This one is an easy example. My father's idea of success was to be his own boss. My father's opinion, working for other people made you a slave. He would often compare mine and then my husband's income after we got married with some of my brothers who earn a decent living in their jobs. He would recommend on a few occasions that my husband start his own company. As of yet, this has not been an option for us and it may never be. That's fine. Truly, in my opinion, if a person carries so much debt that they cannot pay off with a good plan and a reasonable time frame, it is that person who is truly a slave and bowed down. I hope that I don't offend people as I state this. For my father, who worked hard for his company and several different side jobs over the years, I would argue that he was the slave bound by debt. And that stress over money made for some terrible, horrifying nights. Continuing on with the list of common traits of a narcissistic father. They will disregard boundaries, 
Even the slightest criticism will be responded with shaming their critic for even thinking such thoughts, using humiliation and or rage on their critic, sometimes to extreme levels. They will be aloof and caring, except for their own pain. Then they are highly sensitive. Exploitation and taking advantage of others to get what they want is a habitual practice. The children of these types of parents, and I quote, twist themselves into pretzels to please their parents, unquote. I had to quote this statement as the imagery is very easy to understand. Our thoughts, our needs, and emotions are irrelevant. All that matters is that we do our best to make sure our parent is happy. Try to prevent that abuse from even occurring today. This causes things like codependency, which I didn't know much about, and I still don't really. At its essence, codependency is someone neglecting to take care of themselves while focusing all of their efforts on taking care of someone else. As a child of the narcissist, in order to survive, we repress our thoughts and feelings. These are dangerous to have around the narcissist. We begin to believe that we are worthless. I'm not good enough. If only blank. These things lead to anxiety and depression because the narcissistic parent often manipulates and lies. The child will learn not to trust their feelings and suffer from long-term self-doubt. There are 10 traits that the children of narcissists may have, although not necessarily all. We may have tendency towards people-pleasing. Thinking about our needs can make us feel guilty. This is something I definitely struggle with. Persistent self-doubt and indecision. Is there anyone else who thought that this was just a normal way of thinking? Chronic self-blame. Believing you're unlovable, not good enough. In some ways, yes, I have often thought that I'm not good enough. If only I was a better wife, better mother. My family deserves better. Difficulty with trust and emotional intimacy. Insecure attachment style. I'm not sure what this one is. I'll have to study it. Codependent and or abusive relationships. Children of narcissists may become narcissistic themselves. And we are at a higher risk of mental health issues. The likelihood of developing a mental illness is increased in the children of narcissistic parents due to living in a constant state of anxiety. One of these mental illnesses is PTSD. What is PTSD? And what is CPTSD? Where do these two things differ? PTSD is a short for post-traumatic stress disorder. This usually occurs when an individual either watches or experiences a one-time traumatic event, and thus this person will have a difficult time overcoming it emotionally. CPTSD is short for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. This one refers to an individual going through long-term trauma. Some examples of this are childhood abuse, domestic violence, multiple combat deployments, victims of sex trafficking, a prolonged kidnapping. This applies to situations that continue for a long period of time that are harmful, abusive, physically, emotionally, and or mentally, 
as well as giving the victim no means of escape. In other words, trapped. These two disorders are treated differently because of the difference in, of time that someone suffers. Here I'll quote from uh, another website. Those who have endured ongoing abuse at the hands of someone they should have been able to trust, such as a spouse or a parent, may have developed deep trust is issues, attachment disorders, dissociative disorder, and developmental problems as a result." Unquote. The damage sustained by prolonged abuse confuses the identity of the victim and can leave someone reeling with overwhelming feelings of being irreparably flawed and broken and unworthy of love. This low sense of self-esteem may lead to a lifetime of mental health issues. Do any of you, my listeners, have what seems like a normal day till something happens and triggers either a flashback and or unwanted emotional responses and reactions that, you, you, that leave you uncertain that you can ever recover from? I know that I do. There are days when I seem so fundamentally broken, a shattered glass that would be so much easier to sweep away and forget. Let's start then with those larger pieces of the mess. Slowly put it back together. I don't expect that it will be perfect in the end. There will probably be some missing pieces and slivers too difficult to put back. But that is better than giving up. If this is an area that you can relate with, then I encourage you not to give up as well. Don't let that overwhelming shattered cup of who you are become a place of despair because you don't know where to start. Take it one step at a time. And as my husband likes to say, keep moving forward. Which, by the way, on a side note, is a motto from an older movie called Meet the Robinsons. Before I bring this episode to a close, I'm going to once again open my Bible. And today I pray it will be an encouragement to you. This first verse that I'm going to share is from the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 9. And he, being God, has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. After asking God to remove it, this was God's response. We don't know what that thorn was that Paul was referring to, but it is still a great comfort to know that I can lean on God's grace to get through my day. This next passage is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Our God is the God of comfort, and the things that we go through, it is a great privilege, in a way, be able to turn around and comfort others. This one may be a bit of a longer reading, but it is a good one all the same. I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, from verse 5 until 
10 or 11. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Verse 7 I'd like to highlight. Casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. What a wonderful verse. What a good passage. It's easy to lose sight of the goodness of God when we are caught up in the woes and worries of our flesh and our, and our world. Which is why I'm using the Bible as my form of uh, deprogramming. Turning my thoughts from myself to thoughts towards God. Because when everything is said and done, He is truly the only one that matters. And He defines who we are in Him. When we are a child of God, we are secure in God's hands. Though he doesn't spare us from the pain of this world, he still cares for us. What great comfort. What good news. Anyway, I think I will wrap this up here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I would just like to quickly ask for a little bit of help in spreading the word of this podcast. So please share this episode. I started a group on Facebook with the same title of this podcast with the goal of making it a supportive community. If you have any questions or you have a story that you would like to share, I would be honored to hear it. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, or email. Now, I may not be a therapist or a psychologist, but I can definitely be a listening ear if that is something you need. So God bless you. I hope that your day goes well. And I will see you next time for another episode of Deprogramming the adult child of the narcissist.